well, welcome to Australia, folks. <laughs> this is how cats survive the local wildlife. Um, look, the a lot survival of, of the kiddest. I'm Ben McKenzie. Welcome to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett Book Club podcast. Each month, we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest. This month, we're discussing The Unadulterated Cat, which I'm feeling pretty good about. And our guest is the foremost expert on cats we know, the Pratt Cat himself. It's Asimov! Asimov! Where, where, where did he, where did he go? He... he was here a second ago. Well, I, I see he's exhibiting Schrodinger's cat oh, syndrome. He's, so He's clearly read the book. Yeah, so he's going to be in and out. With his well, opinions. Yeah. I mean, and we can't really talk about his history with Pratchett. Well, you could talk about his history with Pratchett because he's been reading some of the books alongside you, hasn't he? Yeah. He's actually got a really interesting technique of reading it, which is to leap onto the book while I'm reading it, completely obscure those few pages for a little while, um, then get shifted a little bit, and then every so often extend a pause, I try and turn a page. Oh, yeah, that'd be right. So he's probably read collectively one book, but made up of lots of different pages from different ones. <laughs> Um, so, listeners, if you haven't already tweaked to this, you probably have by now. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode, which seemed reasonable because it is a little bit of a different book that we're talking about this month. Quite a different speed to his usual stuff. It's in a different category, if I may say so. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. You'd find it in a different place on the shelf. It is not a fiction book. It is what, you know, in the book trade, uh, as someone who used to work in a bookshop, we used to call a humor book. Oh. Uh, we had like, we'd have like, there was a section for that. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure on the back it like says, uh, well, there's a sticker over, <laughs> over the bit, relevant bit on the back Someone of my Someone from a copy. bookshop did that? Uh, but yes, uh, no, but it's difficult because they want you to put stickers on and they're never in good places, but it probably says humor somewhere. Uh, not on that one. Uh, it, look, that's, that's the sort of book it is though. It's the kind of thing where you find someone, that's the kind of thing people give you as a weird present. Like someone once, gave me a book which was uh, all weird book titles. I don't know if they were real or not. Um, I th- well, actually, quite a few of them were because there were photographs of the book titles, but they still might have been photoshopped, but they were pretty funny. Yeah, and I once gave myself a book called Twitterature, which um, was from the early days of Twitter based off a Twitter account where they summarised long, complex books into a series of tweets. Oh, yeah. So I think that would have been in, in the humour section too. It was oh. funny for about 10 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there, I mean, look, and this is from a long um, line of books in that vein about cats because we are discussing The Unadulterated Cat, mm. uh, which is a, it's a, it's a pretty provocative title in its way, isn't it, Liz? Yeah, because, I mean, aren't all cats in some way adulterated I don't know. I don't, I don't quite know what that means well, in this context. Everything like theoretically adulterated? Because like if something, like if you have the original thing that you photocopy lots of times, which is, mm. let's say that's how genetics works, every, there's like probably one unadulterated cat that existed a long time, like a proto cat. And now everything's descended from that one cat. And that's not how it works. That is a hundred percent not how evolution science works. and evolution works, but no, everything okay. just descended from hey. one thing. <laughs> well, when we go back to the ark, like, <laughs> It's how we think about it, though, isn't it? 
Yeah. Uh, and it's, but it's not quite right. I mean, and there is a section in the book about this. I feel like, are we getting ahead of ourselves? Should we, should we talk a bit about Asimov, our guest, even though he has, was that him? No. I, I think he's um, off reading the newspaper. Okay. <laughs> You've been storing up all the cat puns for this, haven't you? No, they just come naturally. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm just going right. to litter the, litter the podcast with them. <laughs> okay. And I'll, I'll just try not to, you know, claw my way out mm. as I... <laughs> Um, find myself beset. Look, I, I can't, and I can't talk. I, I did do one at the top of the, at the top of the show, but yeah, for so, shame. Look, tell us about, tell us a bit about Asimov, Liz. Well, Asimov is, um, a shelter cat. So that's one of the kind of ways you can get a cat that is explained in there. Mm. I've had him for about five years. And there was that kind of thing from the book where he said, like, no one really sets out of a day, goes, I'm going to buy some sprouts. I'm going to do this. And I'm also going to pick up a cat. Um, I went out to get breakfast. I went to go look at the cats at the shelter and suddenly I owned a cat. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think, uh, I haven't recently been through this, uh, with my partner who has just adopted two cats. Um, I, I don't think it's a unique perspective that it's difficult to go to a shelter and not come home with a cat. Like it's like, I think that is a case for a lot of people. Um, uh, because you know, if you are the kind of person who wants to adopt a cat, it's difficult to look at one and not take it home unless, you know, you're like, I don't like this cat. And if you go to a place full of them, particularly if you already like some of the ones that are there, I can see that being difficult. Um, and it's only hard-hearted people like me who have never uh, chosen to own a pet um, that it's it's weird. It's a weird experience for. I but- challenged you to have gone to a shelter, mm. have met Asimov. It's good he's not in the room because he's about to say how soft he is. Um, yeah. And not have adopted him because basically what happened is went to the first cage, there was a cat that was just very bitey yeah. and they recommend spending 15 minutes with them to see if you get along. Okay. Next cage um, was Asimov, who was at that time called Louis, straight away on my lap, just sat there and was like, I'm going to sit here until until you adopt me. Very affectionate. He knew. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And yeah. apparently he'd been there for six months um, and no one had adopted him. How, so How old was he? About a year and a half. So okay. someone had him as a kitten for about a year and then, and then didn't for whatever him. reason. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to fathom the motives of folks like that. I mean, because I can't imagine ever giving up a pet once I had one. Mm. Um, and I never, like any pets that I've been involved with, you know, either have gone with their actual owners when we no longer live together or, um, you know, died. Mm. Uh, so it's, it, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, never... Oh, except when I was a kid, I gave away some guinea pigs, but nobody really wants guinea pigs. <gasps> That's not true. Guinea pigs are great. <laughs> I clearly did want them when I was a kid. Hmm. Um, but look, we, we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. We should get onto the book. Um, we are talking about a human book about cats. Uh, we should also mention Terry Pratchett's not the only author of this no. book, or at least the only person involved in it. Yeah, so um, it's a collaboration between him and the Australian illustrator, um, Joel, Eric Jolliffe, is it? No, uh, Gray. Gray, Gray. Jolliffe ah. is his name. Is he Is he Australian? Well, maybe I, I'm reading the wrong Wikipedia article I'm, about a different cartoonist. <laughs> well, Gray is short for Graham, mm. uh, and he's born in Cornwall. So he's, uh, he's, you know, he's as English as they come, really. Um, but he, uh, he's most famous for a series of satirical cartoon humorous books starring a character named Wicked Willie. Who is? Who is an anthropomorphic penis, a personified penis. Um, it's, it's, are you telling the truth or is that a fallacy? No, it is, it is 100% true. And what is also true is that I have seen those books in like secondhand bookshops and in uh, not in a doctor's surgery, but in a sort of people's collection of stupid, funny books at home. 
but he has a very distinctive cartoony style. Like he's got sort of, you know, he doesn't draw, he draws some sort of wiggly lines and um, characters, with, all these characters have massive noses, really big bulbous noses. Um, the human characters don't have ears. Um, it's, uh, but I like his drawings of cats a lot. Mm. I, I really, his cats have got a particular character. They also have big noses, just like the people that he draws. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we should, we should, uh, let's read the blurb and get into it. All right. Can you recognize a real unadulterated cat when you see one? Or have you too grown used to the boring, mass-produced cats the advertising industry adores? Real cats never eat from bowls, at least not the ones marked cat. Real cats never wear flea collars or appear on birthday cards or chase anything with a bell on it. Real cats do eat quiche and giblets and butter and anything else left on the table. They can hear a fridge door opening two rooms away. Real cats don't need names, but they often get called them. Yeah, I'll get off out of here, you bastard. Does nicely. <laughs> uh, so I think that sets the tone for the book pretty well. Um, cause that's it. And, and I don't think it's an accident that there's a mention there about eating quiche because one of the biggest books in this humor category was the book Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. Ah. Right. Which was, which was hilarious. And that's kind of a reference in this book where he's talking about real cats. But, uh, I mean, he gets off to a, a great start. In the beginning, um, and I think we do need to mention the dedication. Yeah, wherein Terry Pratchett reveals the name of his cat, and he does not follow his own advice. Mm. Uh, his cat is named Oedipus, mm. <laughs> which made me laugh. Like, and I and I have to admit, like as much as a lot of the stuff in this book, I was like, this is just nonsense. I did laugh. There was some really, there was some funny stuff in this book. And it comes back later because like when he talks about the ways that you're going to, you, you can get a cat, he mentions the post office window one about the litter of kittens and how they're peaceful and ready to leave mum. And he talks about how some of the male ones are getting sophisticated views of mum, uh, which yeah. fits in quite, like, and I wonder if that's how he got Oedipus. <laughs> oh, it's a callback. Oh no. I hope, I hope not. I hope that's just entirely a fictional story. Um, but yes, so in the dedication he reveals that despite the fact, as he says, that this book clearly states that cats should have short names, you don't mind yelling to the neighbourhood at midnight, which is basically that sums up the entire chapter in the book on um, uh, naming cats. Yeah. Well, there's a great thing. Um, there's a comic series out at the moment um, online by Nathan Pyle and there's a great sort of sub-series about cats and it's, and it's aliens trying to explain things and there's this fantastic one where one's gotten a cat and he's like oh um does it have a name yes but it'll never respond to it oh um what's the color for then the color is for the name (laughs) (laughs) i've completely ruined that one so we should link it in the show notes but like it's yeah it sums up the experience of cats quite well not as well as this book does but yeah i remember he had one about a uh that was this holding the cat it's like it is vibrating (laughs) or something it's it's just yeah what does it do it vibrates and it hides ah the perfect companion Yeah. Yeah. And that is the kind of, that is the kind of thing we're talking about. So if you look, if you're not a cat lover, let's just say straight up, this book is probably not for you. If you're not even like at least highly amused by the antics of other people's cats, then, you know. But I would also like to add that I was not a cat lover until I got a cat. I always thought I was a dog person and that Mm. cats were the enemy. Um, Then I got a dog cat. So that, that is interesting. That is, that is quite similar to my experience, even though I did grow up for quite a while with a cat who was very definitely a real cat. Mm. Tash was a real cat. 
So you were like one of the children that like got injured by it and did the tea parties and all of those things? No, no. Um, Tash was just like a very vaguely owned by us cat who we kind of ended up having because uh, I moved around to several different houses in the town where I grew up until my mum and my stepdad built a house and then we stayed in that one. And at one of the houses we lived in before that, about two houses before that, um, we were having a barbecue and this cat appears out of nowhere and snatches a, a sausage off the the barbecue at least this is the family like legend of the coming of the cat that i remember um and so we kind of just adopted this cat and started feeding it and we would feed it like spare bait fish my stepdad was a fisherman like a, as a hobby and so we'd feed her bait fish that we'd like defrost in the microwave and she just sort of hung around but she didn't ever she wasn't she was actually not allowed in the house mm. my stepdad was very strict about dirt in the house like you had to take your shoes off in the like just inside the door cats aren't dirty um, though they're constantly clean yeah see i would have thought that but we also where the house was built it was built on red clay and there mm. was still a lot of that red clay dirt around and we had like of course cream colored carpets because why would you not have those colored carpets when there's a the danger of staining them irrevocably so yeah so she was not allowed inside um, which is like, and when I think back to it, like we, our house bordered a nature reserve. When I think back to the carnage of native wildlife <laughs> that must have occurred because of that, uh, I am horrified to think about it. But she was, yeah, we didn't have any cat doors in the house or anything. So she just lived outside and we'd feed her and she'd turn up. And what eventually happened was she'd go next door and there was an elderly couple who lived next door who didn't really have much going on. Um, and they just started to feed her much nicer cat food. And call her delightful names and tickle her under the chin and let her into the house. And so she gradually moved next door until she wasn't really our cat anymore. She was their cat, but still around because it was next door. So she wasn't very cuddly. Like you didn't really pat her. You just sort of see her around the place and go, hi. And she was like a a black cat, but with like sort of little mottled bits of ginger and and gray, but mostly very black. So that was, that was my experience of a cat growing up, which is, and that's about as real as they come, you know? Hmm. I have just, I never had a cat growing up. I had pet fish and they're not very affectionate. No. I, I mean, though they are, um, they did have this You're, weird thing my with my- My housemates fish are in the room, Liz, like- Yeah. Just don't- Jerks. Ugh. I don't care if they know. Well, I guess they're underwater. They probably can't hear you. Yeah. Or they can hear me real loud because it's like conducted through like industrial <laughs> waves. So like it's, <laughs> I, I'll go shout it in their bowl later. Yeah, it's all okay, right. All right. But I, though I have said that they're un- unaffectionate, there is that thing that they used to do, um, which is in the morning, which is when my dad would go feed them. They'd all swim into the corner closest to where he would be coming from so mm. that they'd be waiting for him. So I don't know if that's affection or like operant conditioning. but <laughs> I think I think probably. But, but they've shown that fish can remember more than one second. But mm. yeah, I oh, thought yeah. that's quite cute, really. No, we should. We I feel like we should talk about the actual book now some more. Uh, well, it sounds like your cat was a mixture of the farm cat and the post office cat. Oh yeah, because that is one of the chapters in the book, which is what types of cats are there. But the first chapter explains the concept of the real cat, but mm. also um, reveals the existence of a thing called the campaign for real cats, <laughs> which is for this is not familiar a piss take of the campaign for real ale, which is a real campaign, an organisation that exists in the UK. Uh, that exists to keep traditional methods of brewing beer and cider alive. Uh, and they've been around since the, I think, the early 70s is when they were formed. Um, they now have like nearly 200,000 members. Like they're not a small organization. Uh, and they're the biggest kind of single issue 
consumer organization in the whole of the UK. Do they take um, a long time to get things done or do they just like hop to it? I don't. <laughs> I didn't realize I was opening myself up for beer puns. but oh, okay. The cat, cat puns are the yeast of your problems. Oh, no. Uh, look, I need a porter to get me out of here. Mm. Um, in both senses of the word. Um, but yeah, so that's a real, it's a real thing. That's ridiculous. I just assumed it was something made up because I found out about it about 53 seconds ago when you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. But well, this is why he refers to Unreal Cats as fizzy keg cats. Uh, one of the complaints of the campaign for Real Ale is that they don't want carbon dioxide added into beer. They want it to be naturally uh, brewed through a secondary fermentation process in the vessel from which it will be served, whether that's a cask or a, or a bottle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to them. But I was wondering like, how much percentage of their lives is taken up with, like how often are meetings? Like, Look, I think, I think they're just serious about they like beer. Uh, they like beer and cider. They like the way it used to be made. And they, they want to make sure there's still people making it that way rather than that the only beer you can get is from these big commercial breweries who make it with all modern equipment and, and all that jazz. Then like do it rather than... Well, I'm sure they do. I'm <laughs> sure a lot of the members do do it. But uh, they can't do it in volumes where they can serve it to mm. other people. So they, they're kind of campaigning to make sure lots of people do it. Well, I'll be reading up on that tonight because that sounds really interesting. So the, the campaign for real cats in the book, um, unlike the campaign for real ale, does not really exist, but it is discussed as if it does. Mm. Um, and the, the first chapter is that sort of, it's kind of a Socratic dialogue in a sense. Like there's these sort of questions as if somebody else is speaking to mm. Terry um, and asking him about how do you recognize a real cat? Um, and like, it was like a meeting kind of thing, like a town hall. Yeah. Almost like somebody's a new member or they're, they're interested in joining or he's like handing out leaflets on a corner or something. Um, but it's like, it's, he's got a very definite idea of what a real cat is. And it's certainly not Asimov. No. Um, which I was interested because the whole book hinges on the fact that real cats or cats in general are outdoor Mm. visiting cats. Yeah, where they can eat things and bring them home to you. Which has changed, I think, quite a lot. I'm not sure if it's the same in England because I watched that documentary a little while ago where they put cameras on cats to see where they went um, and a lot of them seem to prowl around the neighbourhoods. But there's certainly a push in Australia to keep cats indoors. Well, I guess there have been cats in the UK for a lot longer than there have been cats here. True. So the wildlife here is still like basically just being destroyed by feral cats and Cats. New Zealand has it like worse as well because their their birds are completely not able to deal with cats because they never learned to fly. Mm. And look, this is a fairly recent change in cat policy in Australia because I remember when I first lived in Brunswick, there was there were feral cats everywhere. Uh, and then something happened, I think about 10 years ago, and you don't see them anymore. Mm. Um, and I think that's partly because people have to keep their own cats inside and so, yeah, so the, reading this, is it does feel now like this is an idea of cats from the past. And it did, the, the most recent edition of the book was published in 2002 and I think kept in print until about 2005, um, although possibly possibly still in print, um, which is the third edition. But the, um, the inherent yeah. nature of cats is the same, though. It's just the, the parameters around them are shifting. That's true. Yeah. 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 So, so there's, but there's some, there's some funny stuff in this. He got, he describes the real cats as being particularly unattractive to look at. Uh, for example, all cats with faces that look as though they had been put in a vice and hit repeatedly by a hammer with a sock around it are real cats. Um, and this is just one of the many places where he's using very similar, like, lines and gags to what we see in the, in the Discworld books. 
this is from 1989. So this is the same year as uh, Guards, Guards and Pyramids uh, and Truckers. So one of his more prolific years. And later on when he's describing real, uh, like an example of a real cat interacting with another real cat, both of them are described in a Clint Eastwood way and it was very Vimes-like scene. It was like face-off but with Vimes versus Vimes. Yeah. <laughs> the definition of what a real cat is fluctuates but I think if we, if we were to boil it down, what would it be? Liz, like if we were trying to capture the idea of the real cat in like a sentence from all the stuff that is said in this introduction, what what is Pratchett trying to say? Aloof but self-interested knows how to manipulate situations to get what they want, but strong independent spirit and propensity to vomit on things. (laughs) Yeah, I'll pay that. (laughs) I'll pay it. Uh, and it is, it is that he's playing on that trope of the like we don't get cats like we used to in the old days mm. kind of deal. But it, but I think he's doing it just for humor value. I don't, yeah. Do you, do you think he really believes any of this stuff is important, or is he? I don't just... think he thinks it's important. But as in, I mean, it'd be sad if we got if we did to cats what we did to dogs. I mm. think. What is in like you know breed the... breed them into like sickness. Well, yes, and. Which I, you know, has been done. There are breeds of cats that do have, you know, some health difficulties because mm. of the the traits for which they've been bred, but not to the extent of dogs. But it's interesting the comparison he makes between dogs and cats as well, because he talks about, I think, mostly in footnotes about how you can basically trace the evolution of dogs by just looking at them. Whereas cats, it's like big cats and small cats, and what happened in between? There's no missing links. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Which is one of my favorite jokes from it, but it's true. It's like joke. you're kind of like you're the same, but how did we get here? And most cats are similar to each other, whereas most dogs are dog breeds are not. And yeah, they're yeah. very distinct. Yeah, that's true. Although they're all the same species, so that's still which is true of domestic cats as well. Yeah, but it's strange, like how. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, this, it's tongue in cheek. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I think he just enjoyed like writing nonsense about cats because he likes he clearly likes cats mm. a lot. Um, which we already know from the Discworld book, the way that they turn up, even in some of the early novels. Um, the, um, the, there is an extended bit in that first chapter. And, and look, it does have chapters, listeners. Um, don't be shocked if you read it. Uh, the original edition does not have a table of contents, but it does have chapter headings. Um, the revised edition and the, the, sec- the third edition, I think, do also have um, chapter, like a, a table of contents. But the, the, that first section has got quite an extended thing to say that um, dogs are terrible. Like he's really down on dogs in this book. But there's I, a big debate within that actually. Like, like there's a footnote, then there's a footnote off the footnote about dogs and it's kind of as though oh, they're yeah. having a, a fight at their council meeting about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so, the chairman has to concede that he hasn't owned a dog. He's just yeah. seen the meat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in fact, not just seeing them, you've seen a particular dog. They're clearly like complaining about a dog that they know mm. that belongs to someone who is a member of the campaign. And it's it's just, it, it sort of paints this picture of this real society of slightly dysfunctional people who think that cats are particularly important. Well, there's never a clear what they, what they, they just want people to recognize them and prefer them. I don't, it's, it's not. I think they don't want the, the cats from cat food commercials. Like they don't want um, gentrification of cats. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, fair enough. Really. Sounds like yeah. Um, no bows, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Now the uh, the the book goes through many chapters, each of which sort of gives you some humorous and uh, arguably useful information about cats, uh, including um, the story, which I assume is a true story of how Terry Pratchett got his cat Oedipus. Hmm. 
um, which starts with the line, we got a cat because we didn't like them much. Yeah. Uh, where he, he gets a cat, he reveals because he didn't want the other neighborhood cats to come into his garden. Yeah, and, and he immediately points out, you can see the flaw in that plan if you dig into it, but don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is pretty funny. So there's there's some interesting little insights into his real life mm. in this book, and I think it's one of the first times he's writing autobiographically. Uh, certainly in published form like this, I'm sure he wrote some autobiographical stuff when he was uh, a much younger writer. But yeah, I, I thought that was really it was really nice to see that little slice of his life. Yeah, and it was interesting because I thought the the book, not in a bad way, swung between different voices and narration techniques a little bit because there is the sort of the fake out council meeting at the beginning mm. and then he'll sort of be like oh we did this or i did this but other parts of the books will be written in general terms as though it's an instructional informational book about cats mm. and it's not at all jarring i think it all it flows nicely but i thought that was yeah it was nice it was peppered in with his own life yeah and i like the way too that the you know they use um certainly in the revised edition even more so than than the original they use a lot of um like sort of typographic layout to like put the when there's a sign about finding cats it's in a little box and looks a bit like a sign and hmm. um as well as the illustrations which are peppered throughout these little cartoons by Grey Jolliffe um some of which are funny on their own but many of which really i think you're just a bit like there would be no point to this if it wasn't next yeah. to the text, which is fine because that's the purpose that it serves. Um, but they're cute. They are cute little illustrations. And they do add to it, I think. Yeah, definitely. They give it a very definite character. Mm. Um, so we go through a few chapters. So there's the getting started one, which is, you know, this is how I got started with a cat. Then there's uh, how to get a cat, which mm-hmm. lists the different places you can find a cat from. And I thought the the post office window was quite quaint because it's kind of a thing we don't really have or do anymore. It's very definitely a book from the 80s, isn't it? Yeah, and there isn't really... Like, we have things like Gumtree and stuff now, but it's not the same. Like, it's not the same as going, writing a sign, putting it up in the window, like in an episode of Heartbeat. It's Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, um, you know, and uh, the, uh, the, the cat's home is still listed as, you know, one of the best places to get a cat. So that some of the advice is still relevant today. Hmm. Uh, it, advice in inverted commas. <laughs> I don't think this is really a manual for anyone. Um, then we get to a section, and this is one of my favourite bits, where he tries to uh, number the different types of cat. And I, I rather enjoyed this uh, chapter. This is uh, around, well, it's, it's only a few chapters in, but a lot of the chapters are very short. It's not a very long book. Like the the original edition is less than 100 pages. Um, it's slightly bigger and it has, I think, perhaps a few, slightly fewer illustrations in it, perhaps. Um, but it's uh, the later edition of the book is this tiny little paperback, a little digesting. Yeah, uh, sorry, so you can take it to work. Yeah, yeah or, or have it on your, you know. At all your, times. On your table. Oh, 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 in your that, pocket at all times. Is that what it's for? Yeah, that's why they make it smaller. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. So you just whip it out and be like, oh, that's a cat, let's categorize it. Like a bird book. Yeah, okay. I assume it came free with binoculars as well. <laughs> uh, possibly, possibly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's different types of cats. We've got farm cats, uh, and they're all, you know, humorously described. Farm cats, black cats with white paws. Which... Sort of tabby cats with a bit of ginger, but sometimes in the right light, you could swear there's a hint of Siamese there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, neighbors cats, uh, which, you know, yeah, I'm familiar with those. I really enjoyed Arch Villains cats because it sort of goes through like the, the fluffy white cat with the diamond collar that's in all the James Bond, well, it's in one James Bond movie and then all the spoofs. Mm. But then they're like, that can't be real because there's no like squeaky cat toys for the for the hero to accidentally step on or a discreet <laughs> box of litter in the corner. So like it, 
what does it do? Is it higher and then it goes away at the end of the night and they've got a real cat at home? Is it like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it also points out it's hard to imagine your average arch villain owning a real cat. <laughs> so it's clearly one of these fizzy keg cats. Um, yeah, I thought that was good. I, Liz, I'm going to ask Asimov, um, is it? No, okay. I thought he was going to make an appearance there for a second. But he, um, he what kind of cat is Asimov? So according to um, the shelter, he's a domestic short hair, which basically means nothing. It means he's not fluffy, but he does look like a bit of a fancy boy. Like he's got... He does. He's got. He's very soft. I mean, you know, he's well looked after, so he's he's very well turned out. If you've seen My Fair Lady, there's that races like scene where they go to the horse race and she accidentally shows herself up by sort of yelling at the horses, even though she's wearing this beautiful gown that's so couture that it's outrageous. But um, all of the men are wearing grey tuxedos is what I remember from that scene, which is clearly the takeaway. And he looks like that. He looks like he's dressed for a day at the races in My Fair Lady because he's got a sort of grey tuxedo jacket that he keeps very clean at all all times. Um, but, yeah, he's a, yeah, just a normal cat but he doesn't look fancy in the right light and he only will drink from a mug right yeah so he's very particular like he used to drink from other things but then i i heard it's because um they see you drinking from from something and they go oh well, that's safe to drink from or that's the good water yes yeah, so, yeah so the, now he has his own mug i was gonna say is it a specific mug or any mug will do he's got two mugs so they if, one, if one's in the wash you can use the other one. Oh yeah are they are they cat themed mugs well they used to be my mugs but now they're his <laughs> So they're just normal mugs. You don't want to share a mug with Asimov? I, I see how he cleans himself. Oh, yeah, fair, fair, <laughs> so, fair. You don't want to be... I do not want mm, to share a mug with that mug. That's that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, okay, So, but you don't think he fits into any of these types? Because I did wonder if he was a bit of an arch-villain's cat. He kind of is, because, and the thing is, like, he doesn't fit into these categories because he's indoors only, mm. um, and that was on the shelter's instruction because apparently... He's got a pale nose, and if he goes outside, he'll get skin cancer. Yeah. So yeah. he's also got gingivitis. So he's just like, <laughs> he's just one of these. Have to stay inside. Oh, he, <laughs> I don't think he liked us talking about that on air. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Asimov. Yeah, well, um, that's why he's kicking up litter, making a bit of a stink. Uh, no. Yeah. Oof. It's going to be. He's probably have something more to. Um, uh, I was going to say something more to contribute later, but he's already contributed something clearly there. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's types of cats. There's uh, there's some advice on naming cats, which we sort of touched on in the intro there, uh, which I quite like. Uh, a section on cat illnesses, uh, specifically ones apart from, you know, actual medical illnesses. Uh, he lists illnesses like impatient legs. Oh, and that sounds like... I would love to see a video of that cat he describes with the, with the hind legs that sort of come Catch faster. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen that. I've seen a cat like that. Really? Yeah, I've seen a cat that's like gotten a bit too um, excited and has like you know tripped itself up and then pretended like nothing ever happened. But uh, I don't know. I don't know that it was a cat that did it all the time. But I have seen that behavior. It just made me think of fainting goats. Like you know those those goats that their defense mechanism when they get scared is to just collapse. Oh. Have you ever seen? I've heard about them. Oh, I'll show you a video later. Okay, it's, all right. Yeah, I do like goat videos. Yeah. Also, you know, uh, among the illnesses, lorries are listed as an illness. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's pretty. That's no good. There's a whole section on the description of the, you know, cat owner's experience of trying to get a cat to take a pill or other medicine. Uh. And having participated in trying to assist with other people's cats for this at least two or three times in my life. How's, yeah, it's not great. How scratched did you get? Um, actually, fairly scratched, but 
and at least at least a couple of the instances the, the cat was wrapped in a towel so uh the claws were coming through a towel so not not too bad. And that's but. also put in the book as a technique. Like he starts off with you have your cat in one hand, your pill in the other hand. Wait, wait. Okay, so you have a cat wrapped in a towel in one hand and you have the pill in the other hand. Yeah. Um, I've only ever had to give at- – good, he's out of the room – Um, give him tablets <laughs> once, but that was after he had dental surgery for his gingivitis. Mm-hmm. And there was tablets he needed and he also needed to have like a goozy liquid Squished into his mouth oh, as like well. Have a little syringe. Yeah, yeah. And the vet actually said, "Oh, cats usually quite enjoy this because it apparently tastes like butter." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm sure he's gonna definitely enjoy this." So, if, like for about <laughs> ten days, we got into a routine of this is where he was first allowed to eat wet food where he's not normally allowed to do it. Sorry, this is just like a, a podcast about my cat specific medical issues, but um, so I did the thing in the book where I just shoved the tablet into his wet food and he ate around it, and I was like, "You." Are smart. I didn't realize that. So I did the thing where I ground it up into it and he did event, like he tried not to eat it, but he did because he got hungry. So that was okay. Right. right. He didn't love the thing being squeezed in his mouth, like no. the vet promised, but we got to get into a fun routine where I would get a foot on either side of him and so, so he couldn't back away and then lean down and then just like quickly squirt it onto his mouth and he'd go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And not spit it out. Well, it went straight on his tongue, so he couldn't. So Yeah, right. I, was gonna, I don't even know if cats can spit, actually. If you know the answer, listeners, please please let us know. Uh, <laughs> use the hashtag PratChat22 for this episode um, and tell us, does does your cat spit? I, uh, I mean, they hiss and maybe a bit of saliva comes out, but I don't know if they can actually spit things out of their mouth. But probably also, they can. I'd also like to hear if anyone has a cat that does not object to being given pills or medication that just sort of like... Enjoys it because I think oh, that's what is yeah. this magical cat? I'm sure that like, there's always an exception to every rule, so I'm sure someone out there has a cat that's like, Oh, yeah, it's medication time, good oh. <laughs> They've just been feeding it on food pills its whole life, so yeah. Well, there's also that video of a dog where there's one they've got two dogs, one of the dogs needs a medication, the other dog gets jealous that it doesn't, so they give they pretend to give it a medication when it comes uh-huh. over. Oh, do they give it a placebo? <laughs> yeah, I think they just go through the motions. Of- <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, now, there's also sections in the book on feeding cats, uh, as we were just talking about, uh, mm-hmm. training them. Uh, they train you. Yeah. yeah, they train you. Another one of my favorite sections uh, about the games that cats play with humans and with each other. I, I really liked that section. That was a lot of fun. And it just sort of explaining some of the more annoying and commonly encountered cat behaviors. Um, one of which, one of the games is called Offside, which is mm. the game where the cat is always on the other side of the door from where it wants to be and you have to let it in. Uh, and there's an extended story about probably, I, I guess, about Terry Pratchett as well, um, about his cat going into the next door neighbor's house while he's supposed to be looking after their gerbils while they're away on holiday. I very much enjoyed that story because um, it, it crosses over the Schrodinger's cat thing and also offside because he's like, I'm not sure what the deal is in this case because the cat seemed to get into a locked house and he didn't know how to get it out and he had to contemplate burglary or like breaking and entering to get his cat out. And then his cat was able to get out after he did the famous five thing of poking the key out the other side of the door and catching it on a newspaper. Yeah. I kind of love imagining Terry Pratchett doing an Enid Blyton thing. Oh, yeah. But, he, but you know, of course he would though. Like he's read all the Just William books when he was a boy. He's like, yeah, I know how this works. Like he's ready. He's ready for it. But growing up like in the 90s and reading those books, I, I really didn't understand how that worked because we didn't have keys like that. No. Because they'd be like, okay, and you put the newspaper through and then you look through the keyhole. I'm like, keyhole, that narrow thing that you can't, you can't see, see through. through like, yeah, modern locks are not like that. And also you don't leave your key in your locks anymore. No, very rarely. 
So it was very sad. Never got to try the thing. Mm. It's the kind of experience I would definitely want to put into an escape room if I was designing another one. Um, Like we had to do that to get into the next room because it just feels like a thing that you should be able to do and it's fun. I mean, I'd probably put it on the front door. That would be great. And I would go there um, immediately. I mean, lock picking, I guess, is like the next stage up from that. And Mm. that's fun. So lock picking is fun. It's very satisfying. For, For, you know, for sport, like don't, don't actually do it to get into people's houses yeah, that's, that's that's ridiculous yeah. it's bad news don't, don't do that um now there is the next chapter after the cat games chapter is all about schrodinger cats and the theory that all cats in fact are schrodinger cats and can appear at any space and time just okay it's as mob that was weird mm. that i okay all right look it's I swear he wasn't there a second ago. Um, well, he definitely wasn't. I heard him on the other side of the house. Uh, okay. All right. Well, look, it's mm. Mm. Uh, perhaps there's something in this theory. I mean, now, for listeners, I assume most people are familiar with the idea of the Schrodinger's cat thought experiment. Should we explain it, Liz? I think we should explain it. And then we should um, read the, the, the great shade that Terry Pratchett <laughs> threw it. Thought experiments. <laughs> sure. So so it was originally a sort of a commentary on the ridiculousness of quantum theory. And because if you extrapolated that up to real world consequences, it didn't make any sense. Because So the idea is you have a box, you put a cat in the box. Uh, inside the box is a small radioactive element that may or may not decay, in which case it will trigger a mechanism that releases a poison gas that kills the cat. Uh, and... You can say that, you know, until observed, the decay in the nuclear thing doesn't happen. And so you don't know what state it's in until you observe it. But extrapolating that up to the consequences of it happening means that the cat is not alive or dead, or it is both alive and dead until you open the box and see what's going on in there. Meanwhile, Pavlov and his dogs are having a great time ringing bells and eating food. Well, see, you say that, but Pavlov really did that to a bunch of dogs, whereas this was only ever a thought experiment. Which, um, in Terry Pratchett's words, is something that you can do and which won't work. Like, you can't do and won't work. <laughs> something you can't do and won't work. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but later on, you know, people accepted that, no, that's kind of, in a way, that's literally true. It's It's still one of those ideas that I think people have this vague grasp of. Yeah, and also, like, they do not need to have that thing that the radioactive decay thing gets hit by a hammer. Because if you put a cat in a box, it will smack around until it smashes that bottle. Like, it's... <laughs> It'll kill itself. Yeah. Accidentally. Um, yeah. So we've got, we've got that section... Um, there's a section, there's a section where you're talking about the evolution of the cat before mm. the next section of the book is the history of the cat. How does it make any sense? What, what have cats done throughout history? Um, there's some fun stuff in there, uh, in which he claims that, um, cats missed Australia, which is true, but not, that seems, seems mean to single out cats, like all placental mammals <laughs> <laughs> missed Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Why is it the cat's fault? Well, I mean, cats are also singled out in a lot of things. They're not in the Chinese zodiac, and the story goes because it didn't show up. It was too lazy. <laughs> I was. That's interesting, actually, because there, there's plenty of there's cat dragons. stories. There's a dragon, but there's no cat. Well, a dragon will show up. Well, presumably, if it wants to, yeah, like not all the other zodiac animals are real, literal animals that you could go out and see in the world right okay. now, except for a dragon. Yeah, mm, that's true. So, does that mean the dragon took the place of the cat? I mean, that's the logical conclusion right yeah i mean i know that dragons are big in chinese culture as well so Mm. Mm. just because we haven't found skeletons doesn't mean they didn't exist at one point yeah i don't know is it cats what what, i mean 
what what was the traditional idea of cats in Chinese culture? I don't I don't know actually. I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to ask my mum. Yeah. Well, clearly, if the story is that they didn't show up to be part of the zodiac, then you know they they very much could have been written by Terry Pratchett. That well, traditional idea. And I am basing that on a video I was shown when I was seven at Chinese school, so that. I'm not sure how great a source that is or how great my memory is of that, but apparently it's because it didn't show up, So, hmm. which fits. Well, I mean, I'm, I like it. I'm into it. That's a good story. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, the rest of the book is, covers some other stuff that is, well, look, it's part of the life of cats, isn't it? There's, uh, there's a section on cats and sex, uh, which really only touches on what cats do about it. It's not about how you deal with cats when you're doing it as a person. Um, and their horrifying um, anatomy. Yeah, he doesn't talk about that. He also doesn't talk about um, cats watching you shower. That is a thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, as in and like... going into the shower. Or your cat waiting outside a room for you. Like, it could be sleeping, it could, it could be doing its normal routine, but as soon as you go into another room, like, as someone has to do phone interviews quite regularly, I keep having to, like, find areas of my house that are cat-free, and you'll start, like... 10 minutes in hearing a scratching at the door as he's like, well, something's happening without me. Yeah. So, yeah. But, mm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe it, was, it, it seemed like he wasn't afraid to get into some risque territory, perhaps because he was writing this with um, a man who wrote a book about penises. Yeah. But, yeah, there's like there are like the weird things that cats do that I feel could have been explored a little bit more, but maybe he didn't have cats like that. Like. Mm. I am now horrifyingly imagining what a Grajalif cartoon about a cat penis would be like, uh, and I don't want to think about it anymore. So let's move on quickly. Why would you put that out into I'm the world? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's just quickly go on and pretend I never thought of it because Ooh. I don't want to think about it anymore. Uh, no, I can't you, stop thinking about it. If you don't know about cat penises, you Google it. We don't want to talk don't, about don't it. Don't Google it. Don't. Okay, don't Google it. Just don't do it. Just, don't, <laughs> yeah, just, just save just, yourself. Just pretend it's, they don't exist. Um so uh, yeah, it's a bit about cat hygiene, which is much nicer. Um, but also, <laughs> but it's not like um, yeah, yeah. One of, one of the sections I like is about cats traveling in cars. Oh yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, because one of the types of cat was the traveling cat named Oscar, like road cats. Yeah, and there's also um, a whole book that I've read about cats traveling on boats because that was like a way they went around oh, yeah. the. So yeah, it has a great title. What, what's Seafarers? It? Yeah. Yeah. That, it sounds amazing. We mentioned that in a previous episode. Um, it's historic cats um, that actually went on journeys around the world. So like Matthew Flinders' cat, all those kind of cats that were kept on board to keep the food safe basically and also um, to make friends with penguins as they tried in one one sad example. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the cat got depressed so oh. they tried to bring in a penguin friend. Oh, but they kind of hated each other so they put the penguin back. <laughs> that's, a, that's a shame. Yeah. I can't imagine a cat and a penguin... No, I can't imagine a cat and a penguin hating each other. I just can't imagine hating a cat or hating a penguin that much. I think the cat was just so depressed that it wouldn't have made a friend to anyone. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Oh. There are some, there's some happy stories in there too. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Few. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll there are many. to that in the, in the show notes. Yeah, the, the bit about this, because again, this is one of the things where it feels a bit dated because they're talking about moving and, and um, taking a cat in the, in the car, but it's not in a cat carrier. Yeah, I, I was imagining it in a cat carrier in this scenario. And then so I was surprised at how it got out. And then I realized it must have not been in one. And he also has that great line about um, 
cat he had a cat that likes to run his shoulder while driving mm. and then it says like don't do this and it's probably against the law and then there's a footnote about it saying what the law is and then a great aside about like the horrors of like having loose animals like a tortoise getting underneath your brake pedal and oh, yeah <laughs> oh creepy yeah 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 um mm. but that was that was fun um and uh how cats there's a section about how cats relate to other animals mm. as we get towards the end uh and, and each other and each other, that's true. There is a bit of that. Um, but that's kind of peppered throughout the book, really. Yeah, there's, but there's some great anecdotes. Like, yeah. There's like in the game section, there's one about oh, um, yeah. the real cat, uh, real farm cat and the, the real tom cat. And that is one of my favorites as well. So, Cats and gardening. I mean, look, uh, so my partner's got these two new cats who are delightful. Um, they're a brother and a sister. They are two of the cutest cats ever, but they really like to eat some of her houseplants. Like immediately, like first day, as soon as they were allowed out of the bathroom and they just started eating them. How are they with spring onions? Because a certain someone who is out of earshot just will not stop chewing up spring onions if they're available, which is weird. It does have some spring onions, but they're out of reach of the cats at the moment. So how can they be out? Cats can reach. they're They're in an area that they can't get to. So it's, yeah, at the moment they're safe, but maybe they won't be. So what you're saying is your partner keeps their spring onions in a safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, effectively, yeah. as far as the cats are concerned. Yeah. And that's wise. Yeah, um, and I should invest in one. Yeah. Now there's also a section, uh, I, I've got one I can lend you. Uh, there's also <laughs> a section on the real cat and children. Oh, yeah, and that's a charming section that, um, yeah, that we have a comment slash question that came in later that ties in very nicely. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty cute. Although, like I, I mean, they talk about, you know, kids playing roughly with the cats and um, dressing them up and then putting up with a certain amount of it. But I'm like, I, yeah, that was not my experience of interacting with the cat that we had growing up because the cat was, was strictly like this outdoor animal that just sort of we gave some food to and occasionally purred at us a little bit if we were outside with it. But that was it. Well, the most interaction I had with a cat as a child, was my friend Louise's cat, Checkers, which did actually sound a bit like a real cat dressed up like a post office cat because it was like black with the little paws yeah. that were white. Yeah. And my main memory of Checkers are two things. Being in one of those little tiny paddling pools that you had in Australian summer where you fill it up with like half a foot of water mm. and it's like a blow up one. Yeah. And dangling my arm across the side and the cat just coming up and just slashing at me. Oh, yeah. Um, because I was there. Um, and the other one is that Checkers just loved McDonald's chips. Right. Specifically McDonald's chips. And so if we got a Happy Meal, he'd have to have some. Right. Yeah. Which is weird. Do you like the salt maybe? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I remember like like, uh, when I was in university, there was a share house that some of my uni mates lived in that was the old two-story terrace and it had like a spiral raw iron staircase in the middle of the lounge room. Oh, did you go to university in Summer Bay? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but it does sound like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they had this ginger cat whose favourite thing to do was to sit on the stairs and as people walked underneath, just swipe at your head. No, but that's you. Um, but what about ginger, the cat? No, he was a big ginger tom and he just like, <laughs> I'm going to get you. Uh, and he, But he was otherwise, I don't know, I liked him. But he was he was a real cat for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's we're talking twenty years ago now. I'm old, listeners. Um, but uh, I'm sorry for calling you a ginger cat as well. That's all right. I I've been called many worse things. Um, yeah. But so he was he was a real cat. He was he was into that. What was his name? Uh, I don't remember his name actually. 
Because to me, all ginger cats are called waffles. I feel like maybe waffles. This is a good name for a ginger cat. No, is it? Yeah. Okay. It, it is. Right. I feel like he was called something ridiculous, like Murphy or Tom or something like that. I can't remember. Murphy's a good name. Yeah. Yeah. He was. He was. It was something like that. And he was because he, he had he had a bit of a rough and tumble name because he mm. was a rough and tumble cat. Yeah. So he was definitely a real cat as well. And there was another cat actually. I remember lived near there that we were all horrified by, not because it was dangerous, but because clearly its owner overfed it and it was literally the size of a, a small watermelon and the shape of a small watermelon but with legs. Okay, so you've just reminded me of the other cats that I had interaction with. Mm. Um, it was my friend who used to live in the Adelaide Hills and she had, she'd always have about two cats at any given time, but she had this one called Susie which seemed to have been alive forever because we were about like six and the cat was alive before her and she was the biggest cat I'd ever seen in my life. Um I don't, I don't think she was overfed by her owners. It was because she lived in the hills. She was able to just catch whatever she wanted to eat. Right. Um, and she was also always seemingly asleep ca- counterintuitively. So we called her a snoozy. <laughs> and my favorite snoozy story is that apparently because it's the Adelaide Hills and it's Australia, Susie once came across a snake, um, which usually doesn't end well for cats. Um, no. Apparently Susie sat on the snake until it asphyxiated to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's how big, tough a cat. That's a real cat. Yeah, that's super real. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. uh, (laughs) That is a sad story for the snake. Yeah, but like, you know what the snake was trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But welcome to Australia, folks. (laughs) (laughs) This is how cats survive the local wildlife. Um, look, the a lot survival of, of the kiddest. But well, you know, the other thing about cats where I grew up is that probably a lot of them died because they would have, there were cane toads up there, right? Which, um, Wait, so they eat cane toads and they're poisonous? Or? Yeah. So if you're not familiar with, um, with this terrible ecological disaster of a story, listeners in Australia, um, we had a problem with growing sugar cane. There was a species of moth that, um, would infect them. I think it was a moth. Uh, and so they imported a species called the cane toad, which fed on those moths and lived in cane fields in other countries. Um, and it found the situation so ideal because there's not that many predators that it just proliferated across and it's this major pest and it's very dangerous to native wildlife because it's poisonous and if they eat it, it can kill them. And it also sometimes will kill pets who, who attack and eat them as well. So, um, and they're, they're just brazen. Like they'll just come up to, um, like pet food bowls and start eating the pet food out of them. Um, and they're gross little, gross little toad. Creatures. Is there a version of this? Is it in Going Postal about like there's something in the mailbox and we'll introduce this and they end up introducing like mongooses into the mailboxes? Or is that a different oh, book? That does sound familiar. I don't remember. But they had the escalating, let's get a bigger and bigger animal into yeah to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, that does that does ring a bell. Yeah. I don't remember how it worked. Well, we'll, well, well if it's ringing a bell, I guess it's dinner time. So. <laughs> All right, well, oh, not your bell. It's not. Okay. All right. He's gone again. All right. Good. Anyway, um, look, uh, I mean, this brings us nearly to the end of the book. It's really because, like, it, it, it's there's no plot to discuss. This is it's it's literally just these chapters with some gags about cats. And the last one is called "The Cats We Missed," which I, 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 I how did you think this about this chapter? What did you think about this chapter? Because I found it weird. I'm like, why is this here? Like, cause at the end of the book, he suddenly goes, "What if?" We didn't have dogs that were bred into weird breeds. We had cats. And here's like maybe what that would have looked like as an alternate history. And I'm like, that is a weird way to end the book. So I started off hating it and then I got more and more into it because I was like, oh, this is feasible. And I especially like the, like the eek, the oh, ecky, the, the, the one that's the size one. of a mouse. Yeah, like yeah. And maybe the illustration really sold it for me where like 
it can go into a mouse hole and mug a mouse and be like, get out, buddy. It's my home now, which is like a real Tom and Jerry kind of thing that you can imagine. Like, it, like whichever one's the cat eats the thing and ends up in the, that. They would end up bad for the cat. Yeah. But I really liked and hated the smog, the one which is basically like bald, no tail, no ears, so that it wins all fights and is at the end good with children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. That was very funny. And Dash Scats, which is like a sausage dog, um, so it can rub against the front and the back of your leg at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that was great. There's some look. I don't. I don't. I'm certainly not suggesting there aren't some great gags in this particular chapter, but I just, yeah, I thought that was weird. But I guess it's kind of like it goes like cats now, the history of cats, where they're going, what we might have had. So it feels comprehensive. I'm yeah. trying to think of like another cat related section that could have been added that wasn't, and I can't. And so the cats we miss seems like it's plugging all the... I suppose. And it is just before, because it's not actually the last bit of the book. The last bit is the future of the real cat. Mm. Where are they going to be? And so there's, you know, there's a spaceman uh, with a space cat Mm. uh, illustration, which reminds me of some of the workshops I do with children. I guess that makes sense from that perspective. So when I was reading it, I was like, what? What is this? Why is this here? But it, yeah, it did have some good gags, you're right. And, And as you say, it does plug that gap. It's comprehensive. It's a it's a comprehensive guide to cats. It is. It is. Um, but that's that's the content of the book. I mean, yeah, this may be the shortest episode of Pratt Chat ever. Pratt Cat. Oh, Pratt, oh, oh, sorry. No, not you. No, no, yeah. It's confusing. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. This may be the shortest episode of Pratt Chat ever. Mm. Is that clear enough for you? He's saying he's not French. Uh, okay. All right. Well, look. Anyway, um, but but I, I guess it's time for us to to have some final thoughts and some favorite bits and, and get some questions. What about you, Liz? What what are your final thoughts on this on the book? All right. So I said my favorite pun in it, which was where they said where he said the lack of cats' evolution being visible was missing links, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> that was great. Um, there's a bit where he's talking about training and disciplining a real cat, and he said it's not like people with big bounding dogs who sort of say, "Prince, no." I said, "No, put it down this minute, Prince," which really reminded me of a video, which I'm not sure if you've seen, where it's called something like Fenton Goes to the Park, and you can just see. I think it's just an English countryside and all of a sudden you just start to hear louder and louder, Fenton, Fenton, no, Jesus Christ, no, Fenton. And then like all of these like sheep are shepherded across a road by this dog that's gleefully running. <laughs> oh, no. And it's just, it's so good. And it's just exactly what I meant because that is like those jolly dogs that enjoy running around doing what they want and that is what it would be like trying to train a cat where it makes you think you're doing it but you're actually the one that's. Being trained. Being trained. Yeah, And there was sure. also a nice line about Alsatians. Some dogs are Alsatians, which is just a wolf in a collar biding its time, which <laughs> is yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah. I Look, I really liked, I think some of my favourite bits, the types of cat chapter I really enjoyed uh, because there's so many little little gags in there about different kinds of cats. And we, we talked about the Archvillains cat already. I also really liked the cartoon cats section we like acknowledges that mm. those are those are a thing um and that there's a little bit of those that later on he says there's a little bit of those cats in every cat where they're somehow able to walk on air for a few seconds mm. before they notice that they shouldn't be doing it i don't know i i quite enjoyed that um did he throw a cat in a pond at one point <laughs> was i reading that yeah yeah because <laughs> it, it, it eaten one of his uh goldfish so put it in and with the so other. snuck up on it and pushed it in, uh, which I thought was hilarious, but also, you know, not how I would. It's funny it. though. 
Yeah. I mean, you also just talk about throwing things at cats. Clump of dirt and um, emitting the thing about trowels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, also, you know, yeah, deep pits with spikes at the bottom, like how to deal with the cats, uh, which ends, that section ends with, um, or how do you discipline cats? And the last suggestion is call in the mafia. <laughs> <laughs> but it's expensive like children's shoes because even though it's smaller, you have twice as many little concrete booties. Yeah, they just seem to cost more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really, I also really like, and this will come as a surprise to no one who knows me, I feel the cat games Mm. chapter, um, where they describe cat chess, which is how cats move around looking at each other. Although it sort of ties into how I recently learned, and I don't know if it was you that told me this perhaps, that cats do share territory, but their, their concept of ownership of territory includes a time component. So it's not just that this is my territory. It's like this territory at this time of day belongs to me and then I will leave and you can have it later. And when new cats enter an area, they're sort of figuring out where in the roster they can go, so to speak. So I thought, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense for cat chess. I feel like I I was there when that was said, but I didn't tell you that because maybe it was our last guest. Maybe it was. I I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Um, And the the extended uh, story of the locked the lost gerbil mystery. Yeah, that was that could have been a short story in and of itself. Yeah. Well, if just like a, a column, I'd have read that. Yeah. I, I did read that. In fact, I just read a longer version of it. You did. You did. Yeah. You read. You read a whole book about these things. So there's there's lots of good things. And I think you know, in a book that is a humor book and which won't take you more than you know a short time to read. I mean, even the even the second edition, which is a bit longer, is only 126 mm. pages long, and it's got a lot of illustrations in it, so it's not particularly weighty volume. Um, we shouldn't read out too many of the jokes because that's really all it is. And it's, but it's, it's very well structured. Like it's not just a bunch of stuff tossed together and it is, it does come from a place of love for cats, but also there's the world weary tone of someone who's had to clean up cat vomit. Like, yeah. Like, cause <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's so demoralizing when you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm going to make myself a cup. Oh, duh. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, and look, I, again, I am fortunate in that I have not owned my own cat and i have not had to do that um yet yet yes that is true yet like it could still happen who knows i may live with a cat again and it may happen um, maybe i'll just buy you one and it'll be in your house and you'll, you'll fall in love with it and have to deal with it all the time oh, like who is who is this cat uh you give it a good name i would well, i would give it a good name i i think like I, and this is where i think you know this idea of real cats is great is a great conceit for the book but i feel like there's another book out there for like how do you name a cat and that, that recently saw a book full of cat names and it was it was long <laughs> it was very long i don't know i'm one of those people if i got a pet i would not be able to name it until i'd spent quite some time with it and felt i had some idea of at least the character i was you know personifying it with based on its behavior well asimov was originally called louis um which did not suit him mm. at all but he got named on the way home from the shelter um, and it seems to suit him very well. Though um, it has worked in a weird way where the writer Asimov has now become the secondary Asimov to me. So when someone's referring to like Isaac Asimov and his foundation series and they go, oh yeah, Asimov's this, I'm like, what? Oh, right. Yeah, the, oh yeah, the other guy. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, at least there's, I mean, there aren't, there are only two famous Asimovs in the world. Yeah. You know, so... Or significant ones. So, sorry, anyone else called Asimov? Yeah. But it's true. Uh, There's nothing you can do about it. Can't wait for my next cat, uh, second cat, Arthur C. Clarke, (laughs) which is what he'll be called in full. Really? Yeah. With the C? Yeah. And a full stop? Yeah. Okay. All right. Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. Will they they have fights about... 
their respective views on science fiction. I assume they'll have like... I don't know that they disagreed. Respective spews uh, from science fiction. <laughs> Did they disagree? Were they in that big like fancy club that no, all this? of those dudes were in? No, this is what I'm saying. I don't... I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, hmm. So, yeah. And that's not like a terrible name to be shouting out in an alleyway while being, like, banging a tin of cat food. No. Like, you'd seem a bit eccentric. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, uh, you know, our cat had a short name, Tash. Hmm. I lived with another cat named Speedy Paws, who was pretty old, but and he used to be a good mouser, but uh, hence the name. Um, and he was black and white cat. He looks a bit like... Um, Sylvester the cat from Looney Tunes, actually. That was his sort of general. Sounds like he's from a cowboy movie. Like, uh, Speedy Paws old used to be a good mouser <laughs> back in the day, but now he's retiring. <laughs> now I'm imagining him wearing a little cowboy hat and, yeah. and, and holsters, which I think would have suited him. I think he would have been into it. Speedy Paws is such a cowboy nickname. Like his <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was he was good, though. He was, he was a nice old cat. And I've met many. I met, look, so many. So many cats with good names. Mm. Listeners, please share your cats' names and personality. Just tell us cat stories. Yeah, that's what we really want out of this one is to hear more cat stories. If your cat is an unadulterated cat, a real cat, or is there like a new category that we should be adding? To yeah, the I mean, it's updated. I guess because nowadays it's quite different, particularly in Australia. Mm. Most cats are indoor cats. Um, they still do a lot of the stuff that real cats do. It's just mm. that they, yeah, they do it. And, and I think they probably, they do chase things with bells in them that are small fluffy toys because they can't get their hands on real animals to destroy, which is good. That is a good thing. I think we all agree, but it is a bit different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Asimov likes to chase strawberries that are actually shopping bags that look like strawberries, but that's fine. I'm sure his instincts are okay. All right. Well, let's look to look. each their own, to each their own. He's got his own games to play. Look, look he's clawing one now. What? Where did he? Oh, okay. Mm. Um, all right, so we did get some questions from mm. listeners, Liz. Let's uh, let's get into those. We've got a few via Facebook, one or two on Twitter, and we've got one from the Discord. So what one should we start off with? So this one is from Steve Lay. I'm wondering if anyone who purchased this book in Australia obtained their copy from somewhere other than a remainder bookshop. In those days of yore when internet shops didn't exist, it was an oddity listed on the front of other books by Terry, but never appeared in any of the local bookshops, only showing up several years later once remaindered. Well, see, you say that, Steve, but I am sure that I bought my original copy, which I lost and I had to replace, uh, in the mid-90s when it was still in print, brand new from from a bookshop. In fact, it probably would have been the bookshop that I worked at at the time. Did um, you have any input into ordering at that stage, though? Like, would that I, have... No, I didn't, no. Um, we, we had, like, most of the Pratchett books because in the early mid-90s he was fantastically popular so you would go into most bookshops that had new books in those days and in the sci-fi fantasy section there'd be most of his books on the shelf at least one copy of each whereas these days of course you go in and you don't see too many of them so I I did having said that I have seen copies of it in many second-hand bookshops but we I'm sure that the copy I originally bought in about 94 or 95 was the revised edition and it was it was new and yeah. I didn't have a copy. I borrowed one of Ben's, um, Ben has multiple copies. Yes. Well, um, I, I tracked down the original edition because mm. I thought we might need a, more than one. So this was the first time reading it for me and I was not sure what to expect, um, but I really enjoyed it. And I actually mm. now know what I'm getting a lot of people for Christmas if I can hunt down enough <laughs> copies. <laughs> Let's hope people who don't listen to the podcast, they might not be surprised. All right. Here's another one that's more of a comment, but that is just so nice that I'd like to read it out. So Lachlan Kingsford tweeted to Rihanna Pratchett. So I'm reading The Unadulterated Cat alongside with Pratchett Podcast. How many how many of the dressing up cat stories or tea parties with toys and cat stories started with you? And she responded, all of them. 
Yeah. So there you go. Another nice slice of, you know, the real life of the Pratchetts, hmm. which we, we, you know, you don't see much of. And fair enough. Like you don't need to know what an author's life is like. That's their life. But it is nice. Yeah. Um, and another comment that I thought was quite nice, um, Danny Sag commented that um, he was reading out the book aloud and their cat Ski joined them. And there's a very good picture on Instagram of that. So, Oh, lovely. Yeah. So I think someone's going to be listening into the Pratt Cats things and understanding a lot better um, than we are of what he's trying to say, um, <laughs> which answers Aaron Dick's question. So how will you translate the Pratt Cats meows or will we just have to do our best? I think you're going to have to find a translator. Yeah. No, well, yeah, you will. I mean, we 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 wouldn't want to put words into his mouth. Mm. Um, yeah, we just said we wouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. Not that we necessarily understand what he's saying. Yeah, we're not going to dub you. Don't worry, it's going to yeah, be all right. No, that would be terrible. <laughs> um, and then there's another question from Jonas Larson Olanders. Why do you think that Pratchett didn't write more books like this? The Unsullied Dog, The Immaculate Bird, The Misplaced Cow. Um, this is a good question. And I look, I kind of feel like there were a lot of books like this published around that time. I mean, there's still, there still is a market for humor books, but I think there's, there's a lesser market for it now than there was back then. Nobody had a mobile phone to amuse themselves when they were sitting around. You didn't have like, uh, an iPad sitting around in the lounge room for you to look at when you were sitting around waiting for someone to show up or whatever. And so people would buy a lot of these little humor books. Most houses would have a little stack of them. And so there was quite a trade in publishing them. And I think, you know, if Terry Pratchett pitched, I want to write just a funny book about cats, they'd be like, all right, you can have this many pages and we'll publish it as a humor thing. Like I, I can't see the publisher going, no, particularly not when, you know, we're at Discworld book number eight by this stage. <laughs> And I also think because of the way it's written, it it's written from someone who really understands what it's like to live with a cat. And so like, I could probably relate very well to this. Like, I, I was about to say I could probably write this, but as in, I couldn't write it as well as Terry Pratchett did. But he's running from an informed place. And as someone, it sounds like he doesn't have, hasn't had dogs, um, mm. which is the other one that would sell really well. I don't think you'd be able to write a book this in-jokey yeah. without having lived it. Yeah, yeah very, it, ring, it all rings very true. I mean, yeah. as much as now it feels like it's a different experience to the experience so that I've had with cats, um, but it feels like this is all from real life. Yeah, it's spoken from a place of knowledge. So I think perhaps if he'd owned dogs, um, which I don't know if he did or didn't, he could have written one like that. It's because he had cats, I think. Though um, there is the thing where people are weird about cats because they put parasites in your brain so that you're funny about them. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> That is a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So perhaps that's why there's only like a cat one and none of the others because dogs just sort of like, I'll have- be, yeah, I'll be nice to you. Please love me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although as we discussed, like, you know, he does put, there are, there are some great dogs in the Discworld books. So he clearly does have an affection for dogs as much as it doesn't seem that way from the way they're talked about in this book. I love dogs, but I, I have no idea what it's like to live with one. Or like the funny things that would probably come along with it. Now, we did also get a question via our Discord, which if you're not familiar with it, is uh, it's kind of like a a chat room for chatting to us and other subscribers to the podcast. Uh, If you want to find out more about that, you can head to pratchatpodcast.com, find the support us link on the website. But um, Lachlan, one of our more recent subscribers, thank you, Lachlan, had a great question. Um, He said, I started rereading T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats at the same time as starting to reread The Unadulterated Cat, which is, you know, I think a great choice of companion book. Um, it's worth mentioning he was not just reading it but listening to the audiobook as read by T.S. Eliot, huh. which is available on Spotify. And I was like, what? And I, in my head, 
T.S. Eliot was around a lot longer ago than he actually was. And I was like, surely there was not recording. But then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, no, no, he was writing in the you know 20s, 30s and 40s. Um, so, yes, he he has recorded it himself, reading the book, and you can find that recording on Spotify. We will share a link to that mm. in the show notes because that sounds amazing. Uh, but then he goes on to say, I posit that Growl Tiger is a very real cat. Which other non-Pratchett cats do you think are real cats? And... I think this is a great question because, of course, I think we can agree that some of the Pratchett, the Pratchett cats are all real cats. Mm, 100%. Like Maurice, real cat. Grebo, 1,000% real cat. <laughs> um, there's a cat, and, and again, this is where I'm showing the bits that I haven't read, but there's a cat in the Tiffany Aching books. I can't remember. Who I think is also pretty real from the little bits that I've read. So, so yeah, like his the, the cats in his books are generally real cats. But what about cats from other sources? I thought about this for a while and I was like, the cats that stand up most to me are Terry Pratchett cats, but there is a cat in the Hunger Games that seems pretty real. And it, um, I'm conflating the books and the movies because I read them at the same time. But mm. the cat came across, I think, more real in the books than in the films. But it is also a massive survivor because like, if you know what happens in the Hunger Games, it's not jolly times no. in District 11. But I'm pretty sure the, the cat makes it out i i on a similar note i think jonesy the cat from the alien films is <laughs> yes. definitely a real cat because <laughs> you know he survives being on a spaceship uh which in itself is pretty impressive but survives being on a spaceship with a ravening alien monster that's trying to eat everybody um and and hisses at it like that's one of the one of the famous shots he's just hissing it's like oh there must be a alien thing in here if you translate um, what he's saying in that it's actually like oh you're in the way of my biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I yeah. believe it. Uh, but I think the most real cat in all the fiction outside of Toe Pratchett has got to be Horse from the Four Rock Flats books, who I have mentioned on the podcast before. And which I've never read. Because so. it reminds me of a bit of Grebo. But he's, he is, he's a farm cat, to use the type of cats from the book, um, who just eats everything, like beats up bigger dogs, um, is like, is basically like a, a beast of the moors, effectively, but like in New Zealand on a sheep farm. Um, so he's a, he's just a supreme farm cat and clearly a real cat. Like, yeah, thousand percent real. Can I make a slightly potentially controversial statement in that mm. I don't think that Garfield is a real cat? Oh no, I agree with you. Garfield's very pampered and lazy. Yeah, and doesn't like as in there are some cat characteristics, but not really like a real cat in those ways. So, um, one comic that I really enjoyed is Garfield like real real field and mm. it is all the Garfield well not all like selected Garfield comics where they've replaced the character of Garfield with a cat that looks like Garfield that acts like an actual cat would in all those scenarios. <laughs> no, I've not seen this. I've seen Garfield without Garfield. Which is also like existential genius. Yeah, but this sounds incredible. Real okay, field. we're gonna link to this in the show notes. Real field. All yeah, right, we're gonna and it's, it's oh. very believable. It just works really well and it's just very funny. Okay. And that's a real cat. Yeah, I'm into it into it um listen if you can think of any other cats out there in fiction that are real cats we would love to hear some of them remember the hashtag for this episode is prat chat 22 and the prat cat is looking for a new book to obscure my view of so <laughs> so yeah so let us know we're particularly interested in books but if you've got some from film or television um we can hear that as as well uh, i was thinking because there's been a couple of cats in doctor who although only in the novels and in the 
um, audio adventures, not in the television series. More of a dog series, isn't it? No, well, a tin dog, yes. But he had a real cat. Like there was a real cat named Wolsey that lived in the TARDIS for a while in the novels. And one of his companions uh, in the audio adventures is from ancient Egypt and she has a cat that she brings with her. Are cats originally from Gallifrey because of the whole lives things? There is... There is a suggestion that there are cats on Gallifrey in one of the books. But like from there. But I don't. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Regeneration. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, interestingly, the nine lives trope doesn't come up much in this book, does it? It doesn't come up at all, I don't think. Yeah. I think maybe it gets one passing mention, but that's about it. Like he says something like uses up one of its lives or something. So I thought that was good. Like he really stuck to real, real cat stuff. I've just thought of my favorite fiction cat and that is Throgmorton from Dinawyn Jones Crestomancy series and Throgmorton is like a tom cat that's a real cat there's a whole thing with this goddess in a temple surrounded by cats and he is just yeah he's a grebo basically oh you just reminded me of another one or not a specific cat but in Michael Marshall Smith's novel Only Forward there's this it's this weird sort of weird science fiction novel uh, there's this giant city that has all these neighborhoods and every neighborhood has a specific theme. And there's one neighborhood that's just called cat. And there's no people that live there. It's just full of cats. <laughs> and it's very, it's very Neil Gaiman-y actually. And interestingly, I don't think Neil Gaiman writes great cats, but I don't think most of his cats are particularly real cats, hmm. except maybe the Marquis de Carabas from Neverwhere, who is a person, but the character is uh, and this isn't a spoiler, but I don't think he ever explicitly mentions this, but the character is basically Puss in Boots if Puss in Boots was, had actually turned into the person that he pretends to be in the story, which hmm. is the Marquis de Carabas. And so he's, yeah, or his master pretends to be anyway. So it's, he's, yeah, quite interesting uh, as a character. Wait, is I, the premise of Puss in Boots a cat puts on boots and people think it's a person? No, they, well, well, I haven't seen the film version like the Shrek spin-off, but the original fairy tale from memory is a very clever cat traveling with its master. Its master gets robbed, um, and the cat like puts on some boots and pretends to be his servant and like. So like, yes, what I said. Yeah, fronts up to some like um, some nobles and is like. My master, the, the Marquis de Carabas, has lost all his clothes. He's been robbed while having a Wait, so swim can in talk the river. Too. Yeah, he can talk and wear <laughs> boots and a hat. And I basically yeah. is a present. It's a weird fairy tale. I, now I want to reread the original version again because it's such a strange story. But it's it, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe him as well. Yeah. Anyway, right. I think those are all the questions we've got. Which means it's it's we we come to the end of the podcast. Um, we should thank our guest. <laughs> thank you. Someone's getting an extra treat tonight. No, oh, what? Uh, what? What are you feeding him at the moment? <laughs> Special dental biscuits for his gingivitis. Oh, are they delicious? Well, I mean, he just does mung through them, so I mean, I guess the noises. But, but are they? Are they delicious, Asimov? I'm not really sure how to interpret that answer, but that's okay. We'll we'll see. See how. Yeah, we'll get your translator to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, look, we'll be back again next month with a more regular episode as we head back to the Discworld, Liz. We, we, we're heading straight back into the series and we're going to be reading... You know, the one like with Jim Carrey in it, the... The, oh, the masquerade. Yeah. I, yeah I, you know, I'd never thought of that connection <laughs> before. Now I'm imagining Phantom of the Opera with Jim Carrey and I'm not sure... I don't love that. How I feel about that. Anyway, um, we're going to have a great guest, Miff Coghill, who uh, is both an English teacher, a huge Pratchett fan, and also 
an opera singer. So we'll be able to give us some insight into the opera parts of the book. So I'm very excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's an amazing Venn diagram of stuff. It is. Uh, and if you want to send us questions about that in advance, the hashtag for that episode will be Pratchat23. Wow. We're coming up on two years, Liz. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, we are also going to be recording um, our first bits of bonus material for our subscribers. So if you would like to hear that, all you got to do is head over to our website, Pratchat podcast.com and look up our support us page you can become a subscriber if you want and you can get onto our first bits of bonus content which we are calling liz ook club ook club yeah i can't (laughs) believe it's like it's such a great name i can't believe it didn't end up being the name of the podcast but uh now it is the name of a podcast it's the name of our bonus content podcast so if you want to hear it uh yeah hit us up become a subscriber there are other goodies you can get for being a subscriber um but even if you're not a subscriber if you want to help us out, you can spread the word, tell people about the podcast. You can review or rate us on uh, iTunes um, or Apple Podcasts, wherever you find us uh, in whatever podcast directory you use. But until we meet again, make sure all your cats are real cats. You've been listening to Pratchat, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast with Pratchatters Elizabeth Flux, Ben McKenzie, that's me, and guest Asimov. <laughs> Pratchat is produced and edited by me with music by David Ashton of Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Pratchat Podcast and listen to past episodes and support the production of new ones via PratchatPodcast.com. Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag Pratchat22. Pratchat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears like the time travel comedy series Night Terrace. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com dot com